Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. There's so many other places that you could have gone and so many other things you could be doing. But you came here. And I believe that that's no accident. I believe God's got something special for you today. Matter matter of fact, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just tell them that. Just say, God's got something special for you today. Now turn to the person on the other side and and just say, I believe you're going to get something you never got before. Amen. I believe you're going to get something you never got from the word before. Amen. Hallelujah. Before we get into the scripture, let's make our confession of faith that we like to make. I say this every week. It's my favorite part of the service. Let's declare this out loud by faith. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Amen. I've had people ask me that before. Why do you say that? Why do you say that at the beginning of service? It's because we believe it. It's really not hard. We, we believe that we have whatever we say because that's what Jesus said. Jesus told us in Mark 11 that we would have whatever we say. So if, so if my confession on my way to church is, man, I hope he doesn't preach too long. I really got to hurry up. And man, this is going to be a rough day. And man, I just... Meh, 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 meh. If I'm talking like that, how many of you think I'm not going to get much out of the service because I'm going to have whatever I say? Amen. What we say it is indicative of the posture of our heart. And when we get the posture of our heart, when we get pride out of the way, and when we get distraction out of the way, when we focus on Jesus, everything gets easy. Everything just gets clear and it comes into alignment and things work the way they're supposed to work. Amen. It's amazing, isn't it? Hallelujah. Well, we've been talking for the last four weeks. This will be the fourth week, actually, so the last three weeks. Been talking about the subject of the believer's authority. And if you haven't been able to be here for all of them, I want to encourage you, as, as Tim was saying, to go to our podcast. You can get it through iTunes or you can get it through um, highcountrychristian.com. Uh, I want to encourage you to go check it out and get caught up on, on the last three sessions. They've been really exciting and really powerful, and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, so I like preaching, man. What can I say? Um, but I enjoy, you know, I, I love the opportunity to come and stand before you and minister the word, but I, I get as much or more out of my study time when I'm preparing and learning for this. And then oftentimes what happens is I'll study, I'll get prepared, and then I'll stand up and deliver the message and share with you. And while that's happening, I get more revelation. A lot of times what I say, when I say stuff on Sunday morning, it surprises me. Like, Lord, where did that come from? I didn't plan on saying that. But it's good. Amen. I want to encourage you to take copious and good notes. Um, When we come here together, I I have a a dear friend, a man who is a spiritual father in my life, and he's been there since I was a little kid. 
And, and he says this to his church up in Brooklyn all the time. He says, when you come here, you're coming to school. And he says, so sit down, tuck in, and take some good notes. And then my encouragement is not just to take the notes while you're here, but then to review them every day. Make it a part of your quiet time. One of my goals as a pastor is not just to come and stand here and give you a bunch of knowledge and a bunch of information. The world is overrun with information. Some of it good, some of it not so good. A lot of it not so good. We're not here to just toss around information. We're here for transformation. We're here for revelation. Amen? All the other Asians. We're here, <laughs> We're here to receive from God, and my desire, my goal for you and for myself, for my family, for all of us, is that we would connect with Jesus in a deeper way on a devotional level. My desire is that, and one of the ways that I can gauge whether or not I'm being a good pastor is whether or not the people that we, that we see here on Sunday mornings are pressing into God Monday through Saturday. It's not just about coming here on Sundays. It's not just about hearing a good message. It's about growing closer to Jesus. Amen? If I'm not encouraging you, with my, if, if my preaching is doing nothing more than getting you to come back here and hear me again, then it's falling way short of what God has intended for us. To be a Christian is not to just come to church on Sunday. To be a Christian is to walk in relationship and in intimacy with our Father. You ought to be as excited about the things of God on Monday morning as you are when we're here in the middle of worship with our hands raised, just raptured with God. Amen. I want you to grow in the knowledge of, of Him. Wisdom and understanding, spiritual insight and depth is my desire. Amen. So I've taken five minutes of my time to just talk about stuff that's not my message, but it's really important. Won't you press in with me? Won't you go deeper with God with me? He's got something for you. He's got something for you to walk in. He's got something to show you that you haven't seen yet. Think about that. Have you, have you gotten everything there is to get of God yet? Anybody got, got God with a fence wrapped around him yet? No. He's got something to show you. Not to show us, you personally. He's got something for you tomorrow morning. If you'll, if you'll make the time to draw near, like Sean was saying, draw near. Draw near to him. Press into him. Go deeper than you've ever gone before. Make a point to say, God, I want you, and I want just you. I want more of you than I've ever had. I guarantee when you do that, you'll see something you never saw. You'll, you'll, you'll press into God in a way that you didn't even know was there. Amen? Oh, glory to God. I'm preaching myself happy up here. He's got something good for all of us. Amen? Real quickly, since I took my review time up with all of that, let me quickly encapsulate what we've talked about over the past three weeks. We've talked about the authority that belongs to us as believers. The authority that belongs to us as believers. I'm just going to take another minute because I got to. <laughs> My notes say that we need to be victory conscious, not problem conscious, and that's true. You know how you get victory conscious? You get God conscious. 
You get alone with the master. You get face to face with Jesus. You get into the presence of God and you begin to walk deeper and deeper with the Lord. And as you do, you begin to get God conscious. And the more God conscious you are, the smaller the world and the world's problems and the world's systems seem to you. Amen. There's an old song that says, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have the world, give me Jesus. Because I realize that if I have Jesus, it's not that nothing in the world is important. It's not an either-or situation. The reality is that if I have Jesus, it changes how I see the world and how I interact with the world. It changes my relationship to the world so that I'm able to be the son, the daughter of God that I'm called to be in the world. Amen. (laughs) Isaiah was caught up into heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible tells of this amazing experience that this prophet of God has as he is ushered into the glory of God and he's there in downtown heaven, as I like to call it. I just feel like God's throne is downtown, you know, like it's just downtown heaven. And he's there in downtown heaven and he sees the glory of the Lord and what's amazing is what he says. He said, I saw the Lord seated on the throne And the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe speaks of his majesty and of his glory. Anybody ever watch a royal wedding and see how long the train of the woman's gown is? What is that? It's representation of her her majesty. She's a queen. And here she is, or she's a princess, or whatever. She's about to get married to the prince. And everything about her is top shelf. And she's got this really big, long, elaborate, beautiful train following her. Isaiah says, when I looked at him, the train of his robe was the thing that filled the temple. Well, what filled the temple? The glory of God. The train of his robe speaks of his glory. You see, you just start talking about the glory of God and it begins to manifest. Y'all sense the glory of God in here today? The heavy presence of the Lord. That's why I can't touch my notes right now. Don't worry about it. Don't be nervous. Everything's good. Amen. It's, listen, it's better that we do this. Amen. He sees the train of the robe of God, and that is his glory. And he says it fills the temple. And he said, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, why is that important? Let's look at it. Isaiah 6, verse 1. It says this word, in the year that King Uzziah died... Why is that important? Uzziah was a family member of Isaiah. Isaiah was not one of those crusty prophets that lived out in the wilderness and ate bugs. Isaiah was actually a prophet that lived in the palace and served the king because the king was his family member. So not all prophets look the same, right? In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. So what do you think the, the mood is around the palace where Isaiah lives? Probably pretty down, right? All the flags are at half-mast. The kingdom is in kind of disarray. The economy, how many of you know that in a theocracy like a kingdom, when the king dies, the economy gets impacted? 
Everybody's life gets impacted. Oh man, what's going to happen? Our king died. Is some other nation going to take advantage of the fact that we don't have a king and come rage and pillage us? People's lives are in the balance when the king dies. But Isaiah has this encounter with God, and look what he says. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. I got to go to downtown heaven and stand before the throne of God. And what did I see? The train of his robe filled the temple, verse 2, and above it stood seraphim. Those are angels. Those are special angels. Six-wing angels. They're like the Lamborghini of angels. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Watch verse three. This is amazing. Watch this. One cried to the other. So here they are, six angels, big as skyscrapers, and they're circling around the throne. And with one set of wings, they're flying. With one set of wings, they cover their feet. And with one set of wings, they cover their eyes. They, God is so radiant that even the angels have a hard time looking at him sometimes. And one cried to the other saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth. Get this. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of him. I'll bet at the palace it didn't feel like the whole earth was full of his glory. You see, Isaiah is getting a chance to see the world from heaven's perspective. He's getting a glimpse into what's really going on beyond the veil of what he can see. Beyond the veil of what he can touch or taste or feel or sense with some physical sense. He gets to go look at earth from heaven's perspective. I want you to know today that God has a different perspective on you and on your life than you do. And the only thing that's going to change your perspective is proximity to him and to his glory. You don't get to see the way he sees until you've seen him. Until you become like Isaiah and you get before him and you see him face to face. Man, when you encounter Jesus, everything changes. Keep going. This is amazing. The posts of the door were shaken. Yeah, I'll bet. By the voice of him who cried out, the whole house was filled with smoke. Again, when you see smoke in the Old Testament, it's often referring to the glory of God. Verse 5. I said, woe is me. I'm undone. I mean, you think if you stood before the throne of God, you'd probably feel pretty undone too. Huh? Feel kind of small, wouldn't you? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes. Oh, what made you undone, Isaiah? What was it? What was it that just unraveled you for a moment? Oh, I'll tell you what it was, brother. My eyes have seen the king. My eyes have seen the king. I got alone with God until I could see him. And when I could see him, it changed how I saw the world. I didn't see the year that King Uzziah died anymore. I saw the whole earth filled with his glory. I distinctly remember going to visit Pastor Bonnety, who's a, my dad's one of my dad's best friends. 
up in Brooklyn. I was flying in to preach at a conference for him. I was traveling by myself. These days I like to travel with people. It's more fun. I was traveling by myself, and I remember flying into LaGuardia Airport. Some of you have heard me tell this before. When you fly into LaGuardia, it's different from flying into JFK because LaGuardia is on the north end of Queens, and it's just, just off the southern tip of Manhattan, or kind of to the side, east of lower Manhattan. So depending on where you fly from, they only have two runways that, that crisscross like this at LaGuardia. So depending on where you fly in from, you fly right over the Hudson. And you fly right past lower Manhattan, you fly right past the Statue of Liberty, and you just get this glorious view of Manhattan. If you're a city guy, like I was raised, then that's pretty awesome. And I remember, I just took in this amazing view, and I thought, God, this is incredible to see Manhattan from up here. And then uh, the next day, after I had preached, I went into the city, I went from Brooklyn into Manhattan, and I had a driver that took me there. And we crossed the Brooklyn Bridge and Atlantic Avenue and came into lower Manhattan, And I remember the cluster of people that I saw in Lower Manhattan. And I kind of got this image in my mind of flying in the day before. And I thought to myself, you know, I looked at this same spot that I'm sitting in right now. But when I was comfortably seated on the plane looking out the window, I felt totally different about Lower Manhattan than I feel right now. Why? Because my perspective was different. What I was seeing was the same thing. I was seeing the same streets, the same buildings, the same traffic, the same yellow cabs, the same people running, the, the bikes, on, the couriers on their bikes, the people hustle and bustle. It's just a cobweb of madness when you're in Manhattan. And I was seeing that cobweb of madness, but I was seeing it from a position that was different the day before. We've been talking about authority. We've been talking about how Christ has seated you together with him in heavenly places. The reality is you don't have to be caught up into heaven the way Isaiah was. You're already there. You're already seated with him. You're already seated right next to him, right in Jesus, in Christ, right next to the throne of God. You get to see from God's perspective every day. The reality is, you get to do it by faith. We get to do it by faith. Yeah, maybe life looks terrible. Maybe things are challenged. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you feel very alone in this world. But you're not alone. You're seated with him in heavenly places. Far above principalities and powers. Far above all the stuff. (laughs) All the chaos of life. You're seated above it. You are positionally there right now. Let me tell you, you don't have to mature into that position. Wow. We talked about growing up in God, growing in the things of God, growing in Christ. Well, there is a growing. There's a maturity that happens. As you learn more about who God is, you begin to to yearn for him a lot more. You begin to, to be passionate for him. You grow in the things of God, but you don't grow in your position. From the moment you got saved, you got seated. You'll never grow. How much higher could you go? How much better could it get than to already be seated with Christ in heavenly places? 
While there's a maturity that happens in our mind being renewed and in the patterns and habits of our lives changing, positionally, we're in Christ, and that happened from the second that I said yes to Jesus. I got seated with him in heavenly places. We've been talking about authority. Your authority got installed and instilled in you the moment that you said yes to Christ. And you'll never have to develop in that. <laughs> See, I found my way back into my message. Wasn't that cool? You'll never have to grow in that. Our, grow, our goal as Christians is not to try to become more spiritually, um, what's the word? Our goal is not to try to get more religious. It's not com- competition. I don't look at my family members and go, well, I'm more spiritual than they are. I pray more hours than they do. Probably not, actually. Oh, I read the Bible more than you, so I'm more advanced in the things of God. No, you're a hypocrite. You're a Pharisee. That's not the goal. The goal is not to you know, mark off some tally sheet of all the things I did for God. The goal is to be close to him, to see him, to be known by him, to be able to, by faith, understand that I am seated with him in heavenly places and to begin to see the world from that perspective. Because see, when you do that, you become such an asset to the kingdom of God that what God can do through your life is so tremendous. Glory to God. I felt a bit like Jeremy that night. Excuse, keep going back and forth. We need to be victory conscious, not problem conscious. How do I get victory conscious? Get God conscious. Just turn off Instagram. Just turn off Facebook. Just turn off your television. Just shut off the distraction. It's so easy to love Jesus when you clear the clutter. It's so easy. David said in Psalm 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let me ask you something. How do you magnify a God that is infinitely large? Are you going to make God bigger? No, you can't. He fills all of eternity with himself. He is dimensionless, right? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, all at the same time, to the same degree, perpetually. Can you make him bigger? No. So what does it mean to magnify him? It means to adjust your vision so that all you see is him. It means like a zoom lens on a camera to zoom into him until your entire field of vision is consumed with him. That's what it means to magnify the Lord. Did you ever have, anybody ever a magnifying glass when you were a kid? I got one for my birthday one year. And I immediately took it outside to try to kill ants. I remember this. I was on the sidewalk of Whitney Avenue in Niagara Falls, just trying it from different angles, just trying to torture some animals. Poor little ants. My daughter's going to get on me about that. I'm going to drive home. I already know. What did I do? The ant didn't change size. He just got bigger to me. 
What do you do when you magnify the Lord? It's simple. He gets bigger to you. <laughs> oh, how do I do that, Pastor Josh? Just turn off the distraction. It's so easy to love Jesus when there's not 48,000 things vying for your attention. It's so easy. Why do we talk about like getting up in the morning and having quiet time? I used to hate that when I was a kid. Oh, don't tell me when to have quiet time. Don't tell me. I'll have quiet time when I feel like it. Our youth pastor used to, right? Our youth pastor used to tell us, hey man, make time, carve out some time in the morning. And then I realized as an adult with children, that's like the only time you have is when it's quiet. Isaiah said, be still and know that I am God. He doesn't say, know that I am God so you can be still. Because here's the reality. When you know that he's God, the last thing you want to do is be still. You get excited. You get filled up. You get vision. You get perspective. You get a trajectory. You get launched. When you know that he's God, the stillness has to come before you have an encounter with him. Because once you encounter him, it's off to the races. you got a job to do for the kingdom. you got to step into your calling. you got to take the things of God seriously. you got to move forward in what he's called you to do. He's positioning you when he's revealing himself to you. But the be still has to come first. That's why David says, Early in the morning will I seek you. As a deer pants for the water brook, so does my soul long for you. We got a problem in our generation. We got so many souls that are distracted. Your soul doesn't have time to long for God because there's so many other things pulling at your soul. You know what the soul is? It's the mind, the will, the emotions. It's everything up here that the devil's after. He's already lost your heart. He's already lost your life for good. I mean, if you know Jesus, the devil already lost the biggest fight he could lose in your life. So the next best thing is to live, is to cause you and I to live with such distraction. Amen. So how do we deal with that? Well, carve out the distraction, man. Carve out some time. Get alone with God. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't have to be Six hours. Nobody's got that kind of time. Right? It could be 10 minutes. It could be 10 minutes. Do you believe that God is big enough to fill your 10 minutes? Or do you think that there's something you got to do to crank up the anointing, to crank up your prayer time that's going to take longer than 10 minutes. Is it about you or is it about him? Do you believe he's big enough to fill your 10 minutes? And will you give him that 10 minutes every day? Momentum happens when you start something and let it keep going. Momentum doesn't happen when you start it, stop it, start it, stop it, start it, stop it, start it, stop it, start it, stop it. What if you couldn't commit an hour to him every day? That's fine. What if you could commit 10 minutes and you gave him 100% of your 10 minutes and you said, God, this 10 minutes is all about you. I don't care if the world around me burns down. I'm not going to break my gaze. I'm going to stare at you until I see you, until I begin to see from your perspective. What if we lived that way? 
I'll tell you exactly what would happen if we lived that way. Jesus would come back real fast. He's coming back for a church that is without spot and wrinkle. He's coming back for a bride that is radiant in glory. Oh, Lord, I'm trying to preach my message here. Yeah, I am. That's exactly right. Notes be darned. This, honestly, you know what? This has a whole lot more to do with your authority than we think. I can't, I can't walk in authority if I'm scattered and all over the place. The Bible says in the book of James that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So if my attention span as a believer is like this, if my yieldedness to God is like this, if my yieldedness to the enemy is like this, some days I really yield to him, some days I don't. What's going to happen to my authority? Well, it's not going to change. You still have authority in Christ. The question is whether or not you believe it. The question is whether or not I'm yielding to the kingdom of God or am I just yielding to what the enemy has. It's real hard to take authority over the devil when you've been submitting to him a lot. It's true. That's not a guilt thing. That's just reality, right? If every time the devil whispers something in my ear and I start getting worried, that's just me yielding to him. If every time the bait is put out in front of me to get offended and I take it, that's just yielding to him. I'm not going to hell. Jesus doesn't love me any less. Right? No, I'm just in little tiny things, in little tiny ways of life, I find myself yielding to the enemy. Well, if I always yield to the enemy, what happens when it's time for me to resist him and take authority over him? In the last 10 minutes or so, man, time flies. I wanted to talk to you today about the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is the weapon that's been given to the church to exercise our authority over the powers of darkness, over the devil, over every demon, over every sickness, over every disease, over every care, over every worry, over every strife, over every feeling of loneliness. I don't know who's lonely in this room. But I've been praying for you since about halfway through this week. The enemy will tempt you with loneliness just like he'll tempt you with any other temptation. Because to submit to loneliness and to yield to loneliness means that you don't recognize that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. To yield to loneliness, just like if you were yielding to alcohol or drugs or pornography, or it, it's all, it doesn't matter. To yield to loneliness is to say that, Lord, I don't know if I'm connected to you. The Bible says in 1 John that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. There is a union that you and I have with Christ. And so when I'm tempted to, to yield to loneliness, what I'm doing is I'm pushing back against the fact that the Bible says I'm joined to the Lord and I'm connected to him. I don't know who's lonely in here, but that's a word for you. Be free from your loneliness in Jesus' name. 
Don't struggle with that anymore. Take authority over it right now. Say, get under my feet, loneliness. I am what the Bible says that I am. I am who God has declared me to be. And I'm not going to be lonely another day in my life because I'm joined to the Lord and I'm one spirit with him. Amen. And be in fellowship with other believers. If you're wrestling with loneliness this week, be in fellowship. Be intentional. Call somebody. Amen. We're here for you. Amen. Let me close. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, thank you. It's just so much easier to preach when you're relaxed. Amen. I've done it both ways. This is a whole lot nicer. We've talked, we've talked about so many things in this series, and I really hope that it has blessed you. I hope that it is authorized and given you some artillery, spiritually speaking. We talked about all these practical ways, you know, to resist the devil and he'll flee and stand when you don't feel like standing. But I want to bring it all home today by talking about the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the authorizing tool given to the body of Christ to exercise the authority that was given to us as a church. The name of Jesus is the authorizing tool given to the body of Christ to exercise the authority that he gave us as a church. If we were to stick with our police analogy, you know the analogy of police officer that I've been using, the difference between authority and power, the badge is authority, the power is the gun. If we're going to stick with that analogy, the name of Jesus is your badge and your gun. It's both a representation of your authority and a representation of the power that you have in Christ. Power is something that as a church and as a believer, you don't need to be afraid of. There's been a lot of people throughout the years that have gotten goofy and done silly things and called it the Holy Spirit and called it the power of God. Just because there's a counterfeit, I sat with a guy just recently and had lunch with him, and all he wanted to do was squabble about these kinds of things. And he had a problem with some of the things that I'd said about the power of God, and he, he was concerned about the abuses of the power of God. That's all he could, he could, just was fixated on, people abusing the power of God in church. And I said, well, you know what? I'm less concerned with the abuse I'm less concerned with somebody getting more extreme than I am concerned with somebody who wants to deny the power of God altogether. And I looked at him and I said, just because there's people out there making counterfeit $20 bills, are you going to stop spending money? There's always a counterfeit. There's always an extreme. There's always some imbalance out there. Don't Don't let your day get ruined by that. The power of God should not be weird to us as a church. We are called to to have the power of God in our lives. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive power from on high to be my witnesses to this world. Don't try to go out and witness without the power. Don't get me preaching in here now. Don't get me excited. The name of Jesus, the reality is the name of Jesus is both authority and power. It's your badge and your gun. And Jesus gave you, without qualification, his name to use. You don't have to jump through a hoop to be allowed to use the name of Jesus. Any, the Bible says, anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody. Think, think about how generous Jesus is with his name. He lets everybody have it. Even sinners. 
Do you know there are people out there that take the name of Jesus in vain all the time? You know what? People get so mad about it. I stopped getting mad about it. You know, somebody stubs their toe and, Jesus Christ! You know, they, somebody yells out and they use the, names, the name of the Lord in vain. I stopped getting mad about it. You know why? just means Jesus is getting more airwaves. Just go ahead. Speak his name out again. Go for it. That's deeper than you know. Jesus is authorizing, is the authorizing tool given to the body of Christ. Let's look at Philippians 2. I got about four and a half minutes left on my timer. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. This is amazing. This is so amazing. Being found in appearance as a man, this is talking about Jesus, of course. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Man, Jesus paid it all for you. He did everything that is necessary for you to have authority. Go to verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him. Highly exalted him. I looked that up in the Greek. Where is it here? That word highly exalted. It's one word in the Greek. It says to exalt to the highest rank and power. To raise to supreme authority. Jesus is the supreme authority of the universe. Think about this. God the Father does not have a problem sharing that with Jesus. It doesn't make God uncomfortable that the Son became the supreme owner of the universe. God highly exalted Jesus and gave Him the name which is above every other name. Think about what that means. That means every name that God ever shared with humanity about Himself. Go back through the Old Testament. It's amazing. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu, Adonai, Elohim. There's hundreds of names. I think there's hundreds. There's a lot. I don't know right at this moment. But there's lots and lots of names in the Old Testament that God gave to the, to the people of Israel to reveal His character. Qualities that He assigned to Himself so that they could understand from the outside who He is. The Bible says here in Philippians 2 that God has exalted Jesus to the highest seat of authority and gave Jesus the greatest name. The name of Jesus is more significant than the word Adonai. The name of Jesus is more significant than the word Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom. Why is the name of Jesus more significant than all those other names? It's because all of those other names find fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Jesus is what all of those other names pointed to for thousands of years. Glory to God. Spirit of wisdom and revelation flowing like a river. I told you I said stuff that's not in the notes. (laughs) He is... The full expression, Hebrews 1 is very clear about this. He is the full expression of God. 
So God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every other name. Do you know what happened after God gave him the name that's above every other name? He gave you that name to use. God gave him the greatest name, the highest name, the most powerful name, the name that's endued with the greatest authority. And he turned around and gave that to the church and said, here, use this when you get in trouble. Oh, you're going through something? You're having a challenge? Here, here, here. I got something for you. Take this and use it. It'll work every time. Oh, you got, you, you got a, you're standing in front of a door that's closed that you can't get through. You fig, try to figure it all out. You're standing there confused, trying to figure out what the next move is, trying to work out what, what your life is supposed to look like. Here, here's something that'll help you every time. And gave us his name. All right, so in about a minute, let me bring this thing home. Let me land this plane. Have you got a minute? Yeah. All right. So how do we use, I mean, we said that this name contains the authority and the power of Jesus' supremacy over all creation, and it's been given to, to us. I, I wrote this in my notes. Literally, all of heaven backs the name of Jesus. Literally. I can't state that in a more literal or emphatic way. All of heaven backs the name of Jesus. All of heaven's resource is bound up in that name. So how do we use the name of Jesus in closing? If you're taking notes, these are the ones you want to write down. How do we use the name of Jesus? Twofold. Number one, in prayer. In prayer. And number two, in declaration. Number one, in prayer. Number two, in declaration. Next to in prayer, you can write down a few verses and you can go look at later. John 14, 13 and 14. John chapter 14, 13 and 14. And John 16, beginning in verse 23 and going down through about half of that chapter. Did you ever wonder why we say in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer? Do you ever wonder why we pray in Jesus' name? It's because Jesus told us to. When we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. I often hear people praying to Jesus, and I think, you need to read your Bible. I don't get mad at them, and I'm not bent out of shape by it. But Jesus said, in that day, you'll ask me nothing. Instead, you'll ask the Father in my name, and he'll do it. So when we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. That's the first way that we use the name of Jesus. Asking the Father, I got to say this, I'm sorry, I'm trying to be fast, but I, I, I got to say this, you need to know this. Asking the Father in the name of Jesus is key to us receiving those things that belong to us in the new covenant. If you, here's why I said this, because I want to get this part out. If you have a hard time receiving from God, anybody ever had a hard time receiving from God? No, just me? I'm the only one? Okay, thank you for those few hands. I appreciate that. For the, the four of us in this room, this is for you. If you, 
We're going to have an altar call for people that like to lie in church in just a second. If you've ever had a hard time receiving from God, chances are this is why. You're trying to receive based on yourself and not based on Jesus. When I ask the Father something in the name of Jesus, it is an acknowledgement of the fact that He did what I need to do, what I need to have happen in my life. Lord, I need healing in my body. Can I have healing in my body in Jesus' name? It's an acknowledgement that I'm not trying to heal myself. I'm receiving what he has already done on my behalf. If you've ever struggled to receive, just make sure you're not trying to receive based on you. We don't ask after all in our name. Lord, I need peace in my marriage. In the name of Brianne, amen. No, I don't do that. I don't ask in my name or the name of another man. I ask in the name of Jesus. To do so is to acknowledge his supremacy and the completeness of his work. So number one, we use his name in prayer. Number two, and I literally will close with this. We use the name of Jesus in declaration as a weapon of power when dealing with the enemy when dealing with sickness, when dealing with strife, when dealing with all the stuff that we've, that we've kind of already been talking about. You can write down Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It's the story of Peter healing the lame man outside of the temple gate in Jerusalem. He said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the man rose and walked. In prayer, when we use the name of Jesus, we're asking something of God in the name of Jesus. In dealing with the devil, we're requiring something of him in the name of Jesus. When I go to God in prayer, I'm asking him, Lord, I'm coming to you. Here's the issue. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm requesting of you. And I'm requesting it of you in Jesus' name. When I deal with the devil, I don't make requests. I demand. Hey, idiot, get off my kid. Get off my kid's body in Jesus' name. Hey, sickness, go in Jesus' name. Don't get those two mixed up. Don't ask anything of the devil and don't demand anything of God. All right? Don't, ask, don't, don't politely ask the devil to leave you alone. Tell that moron where he can go in Jesus' name. Amen? I'm trying to mix it with humor, but it's really serious. Tell that idiot where he can go. He's defeated. Amen. Don't ask him. And for heaven's sakes, don't demand anything of God. Well, you better. <laughs> no. We ask in Jesus' name of God. We command and direct and require of the enemy in Jesus' name. Be bold. Be bold. Now, next week, I think, unless we have another service like this where I preach on other stuff, <laughs> how many of you are thankful for the Holy Spirit? Isn't it better to be receptive and yielded to Him? Next week, my intention is to, we're closing this series, closing the book on authority. 
But something I haven't been able to get away from in my study is the remainder of Ephesians 6. We talked about Ephesians 6 last week. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. All of that stuff's relative to our authority. And Paul goes on to describe the armor of God in Ephesians 6. We were talking about it in our men's group this week. I can't get away from it. There's so much richness in the armor of God. So I'm going to talk to you about that next week, okay? So we're closing this authority series, and we're going to talk about the armor of God next week. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.